Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Bianca Mangum. Hello. Whose name is still a mouthful for me. It's man and then gum. It's two common English words. And, <laughs> and also coming to us from, well, I don't know where he is at the moment, actually. Madison, but, Wisconsin. Yes. One, William Ennis. Howdy. That's right, I remember you're, you were from Wisconsin. I was thinking about that because I remember, for some reason I think of Wisconsin, and I remember that supposedly University of Wisconsin has a good linguistics program, doesn't it? It's not bad. But <laughs> that's not what we're here to talk about. Here, what we're here to talk about today is... Bianca's favorite thing about conlanging, I understand, is... Maybe not my favorite, but it's up there. Yeah. Well, it's something you like, is what I gather, is constructed scripts. A script, if you aren't familiar with the technology, is the writing system for a language. And specifically, we're going to talk mainly about the quote-unquote native script of your conlang, what sort of in-universe people use to write it, and we're going to say, you know, how do you go about creating a, a script for your conlang? And what, what considerations do you need to involve from the history and from the, the language's structure and such? And what types of scripts people tend to use for conlangs. And, Bianca, I'm going to just let you start with it, since this is no. your bag. Alright. Well, I think, you know, first things first, if you're going to do... Well, the most common type of script is going to be an alphabet. I think it's probably your easiest bet. It's probably going to have the least number of characters, and it's going to fit more types of languages. I mean, I think there's also a phenomenon where when you start you kind of want to do a syllabary because they're kind of different, but they're cool. And unfortunately, not all languages are well suited to a syllabary. And I think most of the time, people just want to do it because it's it, and rather than thinking, this suits my language. Yeah, on the syllabary note, actually for my first language, Yeltach, I created a syllabary, but I had to do some contortions because it actually has fairly complex phonotactics. Yeah. So it didn't actually right. fit with a, a syllabary, so I made some modifications so that the syllables could be combined into blocks that would mess with that. It's a little involved to explain here, but... Yeah. That in itself is not unnatural, right? It's any, not unnatural. Any, any language in the Middle East that used cuneiform had to cope with converting whatever their language was into working with a syllabary, and some of those had much more complex phonotactics than Sumerian. So, if you're into running the backstory, you can easily come up with a, a reason why your oh, people yeah. have been saddled with a, a weird, a weird, not quite perfectly matching writing system. Yeah, and that's actually what I intended to do with it, is that the explanation for this weird half-syllabary thing with crazy combinations was that 
the script actually came from a language that had much simpler fauna tactics. Yeah. I mean, I think as long as you have a good reason, it's okay, but sometimes it's just like, people try and force it and like, don't do it. I mean, even if you do like a partial syllabary, and then have like different ones for like the coda or just vowels on their own, I'm okay with that. But people like try and force it so much and they have like 20 consonants and 10 vowels and I'm like, this is a mess. Don't do it. Yeah. So other than alphabets and syllabaries, I think those are the very most common. Probably because they're the easiest to create and maintain. Mm -hmm. But then I think from there it goes down the list to Abjad, which is where you have, correct me if I'm wrong, it's characters representing consonants with some modification of the character rep to represent a vowel. I believe that's or, or Or diacritics or whatever. Yeah. Or yeah. even just not writing vowels at all. Or, yes, that being the most common use for those writing systems. Yeah. I was going to do that for my first one, but then I thought, no, I already ripped too much off from Arabic. I'm not going to do that too. <laughs> Well, that's sort of the thing that you do, because it very much matches with if you have a consonantal system. Yeah, but I don't, so it would have been kind of retarded. But it does only have three vowels, so mm -hmm. you can guess. And I think I never ever see a logographic system. I've seen attempts, but not for any kind of extended use. I, I know think the I main thing is that if you wanted to create a logographic system, you almost have to copy the Chinese model to get an open-ended system. Right. And uh, like you were saying, Bianca, earlier, that often you end up seeing logographic systems that look end up looking aesthetically too much like Chinese. I don't think I've seen one that doesn't... Well, I'm going to scratch that. I've seen one that didn't look like Chinese, and I wish I remembered what it was called because I would talk about it, but I don't. And I was actually really pleased with it. But of course, now I don't remember, so it's useless. A, a fellow wrote uh, some fantasy novels that, for a change, were not in Europe, but were sort of modeled on Mesoamerican culture, and he had a friend create a combination syllabary ideographic system that looked a lot more like Mayan. Oh, I'm dying to do a Mayan. That's what I was going to do for my other one. Again, and that's hard to do without looking like you're simply copying Mayan. It has well, such luckily, a characteristic look. Luckily, I don't know enough to copy it outright. So. <laughs> like Will said, you know, there's a very characteristic look to Mayan. It has much more concrete-looking images, it looks like to me. It's definitely its own style, and it would be really difficult not to just... I think that's the problem with, like, the logographs, whatever they're called, is that there aren't that many examples, and the ones that they are are very um, easy to recognize with their style, so it's hard not to copy them exactly. Although this reminds me of one of my pet peeves about some writing systems... Mm -hmm. invented writing systems part of the look especially of uh, ink written Mayan 
is a result of the how they cut their reeds. The technology of production um, imposes a look. And a writing system that looks like it was written with a pen that breaks laws of physics, <laughs> those make me cranky. Like oh, weird, yes. weird bulges and other sort of things. It's like, how, what in writing implement produces this? That's actually something I want to say is absolutely important. Before you look into your writing system, of course, you also have to look at the history of your language and the structure of your language and what writing systems fit with that. But also look into the writing technology that your culture uses. Think of what technology they were using when they were developing this script. I so agree. Like, how many times have I seen a script and I've gone, well, this is nice, but what are they writing with? What are they writing with? Because it's going to make a difference in how it looks. I mean, yeah. Something that's chiseled in stone will looks like something different from looks different than something with a, written with a stylus or something written with a brush. And really, the only thing you can do to make that understandable is just look at different languages and then research what technology they use. You know, I don't even say that. I say you choose what you want and then play around with it. Go get a brush, go, go get paint a brush. on some paper, and you'll see the different shapes you can make because the shapes you're going to make with a brush are definitely not going to be the same that you make with, you know, a pen. I think a pen or a pencil is going to give you the most freedom of movement, a brush not so much, and then carving, no. <laughs> I would hate to have to carve something. Yeah, but, I don't think carving is ever going to be anyone's first motive. No. Of, of writing, right? It's, Either stain like, on a surface or um, incising into mush. Yeah, like stick in the sand. Right. But I say if you're going to do your script, you should write it five billion times over and over and over again because that's what's going to happen. Some yeah. poor imaginary person is going to have to write this over and over and over again. So make sure it's like a reasonable thing to do. And when you get to your 100th line and your hand's tired, are all of the things going to look the same? Yeah. You can also think about different styles for different media and such. That's how in Greek and Latin the majuscule and minuscule distinctions, or uppercase, lowercase, developed is the majuscule or uppercase letters were generally carved into stone and then the minuscule letters were developed for writing into books or some other paper or parchment. Well, minuscule is what happens when majuscule is written with ink on papyrus for a few hundred years. Right? The the original the oldest books we have are still written fully in majuscule. Yeah. Is it really majuscule in English? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the <laughs> formal technical term for it. Probably to prevent you to, from confusing from linguistic case or something. Well, I've only heard it in Spanish, and obviously that's not how you say it in Spanish. <laughs> uh, I was just like, really? I thought... Mayuscula, minuscula. Yeah. Have, so, Bianca talked about the, the poor scribes, and that just... I, in thinking about what to say for this episode, um, anyone who's read... Neil Gaiman or paid attention to his interviews 
you know, is that he takes a, a funky approach to the, the fantasy genre, right? When you write your fantasy, you can either put people in a completely different universe or you can put them at a completely different time. But Neil Gaiman's weird idea is that the stories we tell have an actual reality and it's going on all around us and we don't notice it. And that made me think about all of these peoples created by language inventors with their complex <laughs> social histories, their spiritual histories, their complex languages. And I think about all these wonderful people tortured by dyslexia because the creator gave them a writing system where every character looks like every other character. Oh. And it makes me sad. It makes me so sad, too. Oh, I go to sleep oh, crying oh. at night for the poor dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I'm going to say a little heresy here. Tolkien's elves were probably the first victims of this. I was about to mention that because, yeah, he has that featural script that things are, so many letters are distinguished only by rotating the letter. Uh -huh. So if any of his elves have dyslexia, they have serious problems. I'm guessing they all do. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never admit to it, though. They'll of course. They'll struggle with it forever. They'll struggle Actually, I was going to say something about featural scripts because they kind of annoy me because I guess it's just how I am. But every once in a while you'll see a good one. Like I just wanted to talk about one of the ones that was on the thread I posted. And... Crap. Where is the thing? Finding the thing. I believe... Crap. Let me find something before I start making crap up. There was one really nice one. It says they won the best conscriptor of the year. I think... From Zorus, which is a featural script, I assume, because it kind of looks like it. They didn't explain it very well. And it looks nice, but I'm not sure I'd have a happy time reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there are a small number of natural scripts that approximate featural like uh, the writing system used for Amharic. Yeah. Right. Uh, they they Korean... started they they started with an abjad and then added squigglies to mark vowels. So it's kind of a syllabary, kind of an abjad. Yeah. Uh, Korean Hangul, I think. Kind of is. is. Yeah, the consonants can be to be a featural script. Yeah, but I feel that probably when it's taught to Korean children, it's not really. It's just memorized like an alphabet would be. Actually, I wonder how they do teach it. I'll have to ask one of my ex-students. I would not be surprised um, if it were taught syllabary-wise. Oh, it could be that because of the syllable blocks. Hmm, that's an interesting question. I just heard that because of some historical oddities, there are some spellings you just have to memorize. Well, that happens with everything. Like English. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, anyway, I thought the one, um, I think it's called Kavik, um script, I thought it looked really nice. And it is a featural script without looking too much like a featural script. But, like, the difference between what I believe are the ejective consonants and the regular consonants actually looks fairly minimal, so that would be a pain. But I still like it. That's the other thing I wanted to mention, like, with conscripts... You do still have to do the balancing act of what looks nice, what works, and like how much you want 
to convey. So you have to do that kind of balancing act. And What aesthetically gets you? I kind of find it hard to really express aesthetics because there's so many different styles that you could go to and do well or do poorly. You're asking a woman what she likes. You know this question cannot be answered. (laughs) (laughs) It is my, my great shame that I've, at a formal level, like at college, I've studied Chinese, I've studied Arabic, I even took a semester of ancient Egyptian, and my handwriting is terrible in all of them. I have... <laughs> Which is great sadness for me. Um, Chinese takes a lot of practice. I know that from experience. Yeah. So Actually, don't... I've always been fairly decent at writing that Chinese, just because if you paint, you know how to do it in the right order. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're left-handed, in which case you're kind of screwed. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. This is, that's why Chinese children almost always are taught to write with their right hand. I wondered about that. Because, you know, if you do it with your left hand, then you're either going to do the order backwards or you're going to mess it all up. Well, right? it's just hard to... Well, not so much with pencil. Yeah. It's not yeah. impossible. I've seen left-handers write I, Chinese. I didn't say it's well. impossible. It's just a little more annoying. But in terms of the aesthetics, I'm spoiled by that, right? I have writing systems were one of the things that attracted to me to language in the first place. So I have hanging in my wall examples of Chinese and Arabic calligraphy. So both of those writing systems managed as written by masters managed to have both a dynamism there, there's asymmetry while still somehow managing to look balanced. And a lot of invented writing systems look top-heavy or sideways-heavy. They can be peculiar. I think there is a tendency on our part as creators to want it to make sense. And therefore, like, we want to put all of the things on the top and all of the other things on the bottom. Yeah. At some point, you have to go, this isn't working right for whatever reason. And you have to go, well, screw it. I don't care if it's a consonant. It needs to go down here or whatever. Yeah, and if you're going for the naturalistic feel, try not to be too regular because all written languages have some weird peculiarity in their orthography. Like, Chinese actually has several different systems for constructing characters, and one of them is phonetically based. There's an element in the character that gives you a hint as the, to the pronunciation. The yeah. problem is most of those characters are two or three thousand years old, and the pronunciation <laughs> is very much. Yeah. Well, usually the characters will approximately rhyme. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm never going to complain about another writing system, because I have to live with stupid English. <laughs> so, no, I still complain about other things. What the hell am I talking about? Um, English is still fairly regular it's, for all its weirdness. It's not as good as Spanish, but it's still alright. I mean, Spanish is about... Well, I'm not going to say it's as good as it gets, because there's still some funky things going on, but... Yeah, especially if you're, you're for, dealing with different Spanish dialects. I remember... I was teaching kids, and they were like bilingual kids. They could read two, three grade levels ahead in Spanish. In English, 
they were like two years behind and they were just as fluent in each one and it was just like I know what it is it's because you have to like memorize all sorts of for English to get through it and then the Spanish you can actually just sound it out for a long time the standard course of study in French schools started kids with Latin not with French but at least the spelling matches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because French spelling is a little screwy, too. Well, when we say screwy, the, the problem with all of these is that they're all burdened with history. Think about the poor Greeks. Seven separate ways of writing a vowel, which were different in ancient Greek, are all pronounced the same in modern Greek. Uh-huh. I had a roommate who complained about that. She was like, right. oh. So a word like psihi, which means spirit or soul, sounded psuche in ancient Greek, but now, I mean, you have to memorize all of these words. It's this etymological spelling that we get saddled with. So the, the, the secret to producing a transparent, easy writing system is to make your people discover literacy late. Yes. I'm thinking or have them revise it. Or have them, about have, it. yes. To think about it this way, I think there's a couple of factors that uh, mul- multiply the weirdness factor in your orthography. One is the depth of history. That's so, true. like in the case of Chinese, if you have a 4,000-year-old writing system, it's going to get pretty disconnected after a while. And then the second thing is if it's a foreign writing system, so so many languages that use Latin borrowed it from somebody else. There's a lot of languages that use Chinese characters that borrowed it from Chinese, and that thus they have multiple different pronunciations for characters and such. That multiplies weirdness a little bit, too. That's true. Like, you were saying with your one first language that you had the syllabary, but it was borrowed from somewhere else where it supposedly matched the language a little better, so then they had to tweak it to make it their own thing. Yeah, I, I have to deal with this. I've been trying to learn classical Nahuatl, the language of the Aztec Empire. So imagine a Uto-Aztecan language as written by Spanish monks from the 1500s. That's how all of... That's the thing that gets me. Like, when I used to try and read grammars, like when I worked in the library, and sometimes something would come along, and then, like, all of the grammars we got for, like, um, Central American and South American languages, they were always in Spanish and like all of the spelling for like Quechua. Quechua you would not normally put a Q-U-E for ca or que but because it's predominantly a Spanish speaking area, that's who's going to study it, they end up getting a very Spanish looking orthography. Well that that makes me think of some of the bizarre spellings you find just for names of Native American tribes <laughs> in the U.S. Some of them internal terms, some term, some of them external terms, but so many of them have these weird spellings and probably the original pronunciation on half of them has been lost. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. If, if you come to discover a new language, this might, you know... If you wanted to come up with a really, really difficult conlang, imagine this scenario where you discover a new continent and you have never heard sounds like, you know, voiceless laterals. You've never heard ejective consonants before. (laughs) How on earth are you going to represent that? 
These days, tribes typically form committees and they come up with practical writing systems that are that, that do a good job. But but back in the day, yeah, 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 yeah. Before we had really modern linguistic theories and understood that it was a little ridiculous to force Spanish spelling rules of the Latin alphabet onto completely unrelated languages. Well, of right. course, but... But, but for, again, for, for people who go in for the, the massive world construction in their conlangs, if they're going to invent a writing system, there might be some interesting possibilities of torturing your fans. <laughs> having, a, having, a, having a mismatched... Uh, yes, because like, we're all out to just torture people who would love, love to learn our language. Look... Some no story is interesting. Like, if you're nice to your characters, your story is boring. That's right. End of story. Yeah. They all lived a happy life where they read non-dyslexically disturbing scripts. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm sitting here complaining about all of these features of conscripts, which is because my handwriting is so terrible and I have no design sense, I've only really invented one script in my life, and it's not one I'm ever, ever going to wave around in public. I think I think I think I I think it's almost harder to do a good invented script than it is to do a good invented language. It depends because sometimes you do need that little bit of artistic sense to do the conscript, which you know not and everyone's to, an artist. And you need to bake it somehow. I I think some of these scripts look like a good starting point, but like you said, someone needs to write it out a thousand times, so the weirdnesses can be shaved off and turned into a well-used, effective orthography. That's what yeah, I do. That's yeah. absolutely something... That sounds even more tedious than just regular conlanging work, <laughs> too. It, it does, but the effects will be good, I think. Um, one thing I want to bring up before we move on from this topic is, does your conlang really need its own native script? I don't think it always does, because if you are not building a world around it, of course, you can just uh, use a romanization system that you devise if you can build a good one. And then also, say, if you have a language that is in-universe unwritten, I believe... Before we were recording, William, you were talking about somebody had devised a writing system for Natvi. Right. I'm pretty sure in in universe Natvi, the Natvi never developed writing. No, 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 no. You're right. They're, they they have no writing system except for sort of in the story sense, this Latinization produced by you know anthropologists presumably. And there have been several attempts to create. Uh, not be writing systems. I think his was was pretty darn good, pretty attractive. Uh, one guy produced a Tenguar mode. No. <laughs> yes, yes, right. So there's a Tenguar mode for not be as well. So so if you need ejective consonants, you can look up his work. Um, elves with adjectives. That makes me sad inside. <laughs> Why? Well, I thought. It, well, if you're going to go for it. Well, I mean, I'm okay with Tenguar. I just feel like it's been beaten to death. No Tenguar doubt, it's pretty is- to look at. Yeah, Tengwar is very pretty. It's not very practical. <laughs> yeah, like I said, if you're happy to have it be pretty rather than practical, that's your choice. If you want it to be practical rather than pretty, it's hard to get both. Well, 
somehow the Arabs manage it, right? There's a simple, straightforward handwriting, ruqah, and then you've got the, 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 the nashk, which is usually what's printed. But then you have completely crazy things like duali, which was only produced by, you know, the sultan in Turkey. Incredibly complicated design, beautiful and illegible. <laughs> oh, That's like well. my handwriting. I think my handwriting is pretty cool looking. But I wouldn't say it's legible. Speaking <laughs> of that kind of thing, a lot of Chinese calligraphy styles, particularly the... Cao, the grass style. Yeah, the, uh, Is that the, the higher, one where you don't pick up the brush? Yep. The higher, more artistic one. I love one. it. I well, love the way it looks, is, but I'm sure you can't read it. Cao Shu, or grass script, is not so much that you don't pick up the brush, but also you have to write it fast. Yeah. If you don't... the uh, the ink, the ink will blotch the page because of well, the way of that. Course, or well, that's, that's actually true of any character writing on rice paper, even well, the completely legible styles. You have to write it at a certain speed. That's the nice thing with the ink, though, is that with like a pencil, you don't get so much the momentum, but with ink, you do get like the pressure and the momentum. But that's just me, anyway. <laughs> My uh, my secret hint into making your ink handwritten script look better is don't use black ink. Mm. I, find, is... I find using a, you know a brown a, a nice a nice you know red brown or blue or or, or gray is a, is a better approach. It smooths out the rough edges. That's interesting. There are actual writing systems in the world that use color. Although that Ew. would probably be something that you would only use if it if people develop writing at a later stage of technology, because at one point in history, people probably couldn't afford that much different colors of ink. Actually, that was one of the funny things that I did with my uh, my Inyao people. People, people. Their writing was actually supposed to be in a bunch of different color inks, not where the colors mattered for anything, just because they were supposed to be kind of subtropical, and I imagine them having access to a bunch of dyes. So I thought, oh, if you have a bunch of colors, let's make it pretty. But it not something to... good. It could be something good for showing super segmentals, like tone. Yeah. I think it would be a giant pink, because then you'd have to switch brushes and. If you see a handwritten version of the Quran, you might see multiple inks for certain kinds of extra. Yeah, but that's for something special. I'm not going to write, like, my laundry list. Laundry list? Grocery list. What the hell is a laundry list? Something politicians (laughs) talk about. All right, whatever. Um, Grocery list. All right, I think we're ready to move on. Yeah, I was about (laughs) to say... Why don't we move on to our featured conlang, which is the native name is something like uh, Rangyayo, but you can also say Rangyan. It's a fictional language spoken on an island located in the East China Sea near Okinawa. And it has elements of Japanese and Korean, but it's envisioned as a language isolate. And its writing system sort of tangentially... in interesting for our topic here that he actually uses stock that real writing system he uses a combination of Korean Hangul 
and Chinese characters. And I actually have an audio sample I'll, I'll play. Hold on a second. I gotta switch things around so you guys can hear that. Yeah, because I haven't had time to listen yet. It's okay. I'm gonna check my Facebook. <laughs> oh, Yay, wait. editing. Yes, editing. Sorry. Oh, well, you I know, was looking in Audacity when I should have been looking in Skype for some reason. ごめん、やりもしやも。なるやも。うん、なるや。なるみや。いこえまねパイムやも。マジるやも。メジるや。メジシブブンるや。メジパヌや。Yep. Yes. Okay. No, I was just doing that because the static was building again. Sometimes when I talked, it goes away. Yeah, it sounded like I was going to be run over by a truck. Yeah, that. Tell us when I we're starting again. You before that comes <laughs> from your end. But anyway, about the language, you can hear it. Kind of has its own sound to it, but it has some, it sounds somewhat a little bit like Korean and Japanese, but I think the, probably the, the high front rounded vowel that you sound, I think, gives it a little bit of its own character. Well, that exists in Japanese. Um, yeah, I, I thought it sounded a little bit more like Korean. I don't know, um the native language of the inventor of the language, he might just be speaking with his accent. Yeah, and that's one thing I wanted to point out, is most conlangers are of European descent, and as a result, a lot of us... English bias. A lot of people tend to be very much inspired by European languages, particularly Indo-European languages. And this guy... From his picture and his surname, I'm imag- I, I'm presuming that this guy, his name is Desmond Lee, is either Korean or Chinese descent. Uh-huh. From the design of his language, probably Korean. <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense why he went with like the kind of characters he did. Because I mean, most of the time we're just going to use Latin because we're f- lazy. And, you know, why am I going to bother using a script that's less common for people to read? But it actually seems like the script he chose actually suits the language. I don't know enough about it to say for sure, but it looks like it does. Yeah. And thinking about it, the history behind them using Hangul probably would make some sense because I know at least in recent times uh, South Korea has pushed for a lot of island islanders in the in that area a lot of aboriginal groups and such to use Hangul to write their own languages right but right. I don't know if that's actually the history that he was going for it does well, seem to be like an extension of the real world 
Yeah. Or an alternate, whatever it's called. Well, this is, for me, was the great thing. If, if you start with the assumption that there's an island somewhere <laughs> where you have, and it's off the coast of China, um, but it has the cultural influence of both China and Korea, this makes perfect sense. Um, I'm, I'm, I quite enjoy this combination of pulling out these Chinese characters and mis- mixing them with Hangul. I, I think it's, it's a nice trick. And I especially love, again, because... You know, classical Chinese was sort of the Latin of that part of Asia to have a mix of native vocabulary with, you know, Chinese-derived forms. All of that is, is, is very historically accurate. Normally, I don't go for these sort of alternate history languages, but I think this is a really good example of it. The grammar surprised me one or two places, but... yeah. He is very good about the history. I get the idea that he knows the history of the area very well, but just by so. the fact that he pulled from the Middle Chinese forms of the words, which is what was borrowed into Korean and Japanese, as, as I understand correctly. Well, for Japanese, multiple periods were borrowed, which makes it all the more exciting. Well, yeah. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. No, I was going to agree with what you said, William, but, you know, it looks like he did the history right, and he has a nice little thing, but I feel like the reason it's so fascinating to us, rather than another, like, stupid romlang, is because it does have that Asian flavor. It's more than a flavor. It's an Asian base. Yeah. yeah. Would we be as interested in this language if this guy had actually been an English speaker who created a Germanic language no. with influence from Latin and French. My answer would be sure. no. I mean, it's nice to see, though. Yeah. It, it is very... I like the... When I, when I hear him talking, I, when I hear the audio sample, it has a nice sound to it. I like that. Yeah. And just... A note for people who send in our conlang, their conlangs, to us. Sound samples will work in your favor when I'm deciding what. <laughs> yeah, I don't care if you've never said it before. Just make something up for us, and then we'll be happy. I don't. I don't like having to stumble through pronunciations. Oh, but we enjoy it so much. <laughs> one one thing that surprises me about Rangyayo is the verb system. The verbs seem very Englishy. Yeah, they really do. Because I mean, when they're... I was going through it and I was like, this is almost exactly like the English, and I don't know if it, that's just because I didn't see any proper like, um, I didn't see any glosses, tisk tisk, but um, oh, yeah. I didn't see any like sentences with like where you would use one tense versus the other, so pragmatically it might be different from English. But just looking at the distinctions he makes, it looks a lot like English. Yeah, the, it does, right? Past, present, future, progressive, perfect. That's that's a strange mix. Yeah. yeah, I think the only thing that differentiates it, and again, his grammar stuff that he's written up is very sketchy, so there may be different usages, but the only thing that I see distinguishing it is that he has dedicated negative forms. But yeah. sure. still all the tenses that you expect to find in English. Except yeah. it has future. It has a dedicated future. That's all. Well, I mean, 
they attach and form differently, but I'm just wondering if the way it splits the meaning is the same. Right. How are they used? Yeah, we'd have to we'd have to find examples, and unfortunately, he hasn't gotten around to putting too many examples. On. I mean, he has all of these different um, mood infix, uh, suffixes that come before the 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 tense and aspect stuff, which is not at all English-like. Yeah, but that's, that's the, the 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 tense and aspect stuff is surprisingly, it's very surprising to me. Yeah, maybe it's just because we're English biased, and if someone came and did that, and was like, "This is my language. It is present <laughs> in the past," and then we use an auxiliary for the future, and I'd be like, "No." And okay, I think we can move on. I have a new. We have a new segment. Yeah, I'm excited about this segment. We uh. I've built up enough uh, comments and emails that I want to actually call out. Some of these are kind of old, but I just want to get out there. If you email to conlanger at, at gmail.com, we will read you on on the air. And then our first, uh, this is actually a comment I got on the site. I recently stu- put a Google Voice number on the site for you to leave voicemails. That number, by the way, is 304-873-6281. It's a, it's a U.S. number, so sorry about that. But uh, this guy said, FYI, Google Voice is not available in your country. This is him quoting an error message. Thanks for visiting Google Voice. We're not yet open for customers outside the U.S., but we're planning to expand uh, our service to additional countries in the future. And then he says, his country, this is Karsten B. commenting on the site. He's from Germany, and he's saying, if you want international callers, might want to offer Skype. I think what he actually did, I just want to clear this up. I think what he actually did was click on the little call me widget thing we have, which I may remove because it might be a little just confusing. If he actually called the number, it might go through, but then again, calling the U.S. from Germany, he might want to use Skype or something because it would be cheaper. Indeed. Or, you know, record something, put on Dropbox, and email it to you. But anyway, on a more conlangy note, we got an email from Chris in England. And I think from his SIG, he says he's 17, but Hey, all ages are welcome here. <laughs> yeah, he says, Hey guys, I was wondering if how you guys go about creating vocabulary in your conlangs. Is it just a case of throwing together pretty or interesting phonemes, or do you take a more systematic approach, kind of like Chinese or Japanese, where they can find characters with simpler meanings to create new vocabulary with more specific meanings? And then he gives examples from Chinese and Japanese. He says, I'm personally torn between creating words that sound nice, but that I've kind of plucked superficially out of nowhere, and words that maybe don't sound as nice, but have a more meaningful construction. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then he's, he suggests a conlang, but I, I will... Another day. Yeah, I'll deal with that another time. But I want to say, I personally do some of both. Like... I will build up a certain number of roots 
and then I will build into the language derivational morphology and compounding rules in order to put words together. I think that's probably the best way to go about it, because a lot of natural languages have a good mix of compounds and unanalyzed ro roots. What do you do usually, Bianca? Um, well, actually, I'm thinking for Nyauk, I tried not to make too many compounds, just because it is an agglutinative language, so if I put compounds within things being stacked on top of each other, I feel like it's a little too ridiculous. But there are some compounds for certain things, because it would be kind of ridiculous to not have any way to combine meanings. Um, what I actually did when I was first going through making vocabulary, I actually try and use, like, onomatopoeia, and, like, sometimes it'll make sense, sometimes it won't. But, like, I think my favorite word I ever made was, like, the word for heart, and I believe it was, um, papach. So if you say it, it sounds like a heart beating, but it's not going to hit you right away. So it also depends on the kind of language. For my other one, sometimes I'll try and combine things, but I kind of just like having the core root. Um, I do have more derivation in my second language, just because it's not agglutinative, so it's there's more leeway there, I think. But... You know, it depends on the kind of language. If you have a language that stacks morphine after morphine after morphine, then you don't want to have, like, the actual core unit be completely stacked as well. Yeah, I think it depends a lot on the structure of the language. A more isolating language will have more compounding, and, like you said, an agglutinating language might actually have more unanalyzed roots because you also have to obtain affixes on it. William, what do you usually do in terms of making new vocab? It depends entirely on the language. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there's just so many ways to do this. I, I've rarely made isolating languages, but for those, you have to go with a completely different approach. And for those, I do take something like Chinese or Vietnamese or maybe Hausa or something like that as the model all of which form a lot of new vocabulary by slamming together smaller words. I tend to go for polysynthetic languages um, just because I've been reading too much about Native American languages in the last few years. So I produce these monstrous words made up of smaller elements. Um, I'm not quite as averse to compounds as Bianca is in that circumstance, but then I avoid stringing huge piles of, of morphemes off the end. There's just so many ways to do it. One of my favorite things to recommend is if you can find a grammar of any Eskimo language, you will learn about derivational possibilities you never never considered possible. <laughs> yeah, We could do a whole episode on this. In fact, I think we, we should just put this on our list of things to cover in the future. Word yeah, we only. should do something on vocabulary and inspiration. I look yeah. forward to explaining how Navajo creates vocabulary. Yes. You know what but, I really like doing? I like when I borrow words from my other languages into my other languages. <laughs> oh, that works, especially if they're all in the same con world. Yeah. Because they, they are. the historical context behind that. But anyway, 
Thank you, Chris. That's something that we're going to look forward to talking more about in the future, but it's a very interesting, thought-provoking topic. And with that, I think we can leave you guys. So, goodbye. Bye. Ta. Thank you for listening to Con Langery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at conlangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line 304-873-6281. We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Vidaeus. <laughs>